my approach to actually build relationships with them by doing what you and I are doing right now and interviewing them on our show, B2B Growth, has allowed us to now build a seven-figure business on the back of me building hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of relationships with my content collaborators, the guests on our show. Welcome to Top of Mind, a show where we speak with top marketers, creators, and leaders who are shaping the culture around us. I'm Stuart Hillhouse, and I believe that through great marketing, you can earn the privilege of occupying a tiny sliver of your customer's already overflowing brain. Join me today as we learn what it takes to become top of mind. The week this show is being recorded, it was announced that Shopify, Facebook, Twitter, and a whole bunch of other massive employers are going to start going digital by default. What this means is that they're going to be shutting down many of their smaller satellite offices and focusing a small number of core employees to centralized headquarters. This unprecedented move is going to change a lot about the workplace as we know it, and remote work is going to just continue to explode. But one aspect in particular that we're going to discuss a little bit today are professional relationships, networking. How are you supposed to network if you can't accidentally bump into your boss's boss in the hallway of your office? My guest today is going to answer that, but he's also going to debunk why that actually never really worked in the first place. My guest is the founder of Sweetfish Media, a production company that makes podcasts for B2B businesses. Naturally, he's also the co-host of B2B Growth Show. He's the author of Content-Based Networking how to instantly connect with anyone you want to know. Join me live today, James Carberry. Thanks for coming on, James. Thank you so much, Stuart. I'm really excited for this conversation, man. When I started, I really wanted to make sure that I was never dishonest with my audience and I was always telling the truth. And so I'm going to tell you right now that what James and I are doing would be referred to as content-based networking. So just so you have an idea of what it even (laughs) looks like, Yep. That's what it is. So yep. James, do you this mind like defining what content-based marketing is like yeah, other so, than this? Yeah. So content-based networking is, uh, it is a methodology. It's, it's a framework that we've developed to allow you to connect with anybody that you want to know and, and they can be anywhere in the world. So for me, the way that it's shaken out in our business, you know, we run, we're a podcast agency and we produce podcasts for these B2B brands. And our buyers are VPs of marketing at B2B SaaS companies that have 50 plus employees. And so going into that, you think, okay, I need to know a bunch of VPs of marketing at B2B SaaS companies. I need to network with them. I need to build relationships with them. How do I go about doing that? Because cold pitching them our service is not really my style. And quite frankly, I just don't think it works. And so I can, at least for the vast majority of those VPs of marketing that are not currently in market for our service. And podcasting is having a moment right now, but we've been around for five years doing the podcasting thing for four years. And for the last several years, podcasting has not been on anybody's radar, especially VPs of marketing at these tech companies. They've been focused on other things. And so my approach to actually build relationships with them by doing what you and I are doing right now and interviewing them on our show, B2B Growth, has allowed us to now build a seven-figure business on the back of me building hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of relationships 
with my content collaborators, the guests on our show, because we're very strategic with who we ask to be on the show. We're not just asking anybody. That's the, you know, we were talking about it offline, Stuart. When, when you do traditional networking, you're relying on really a lot of serendipity and chance. You don't know who's going to be at that, at that event. You don't know who's going to be at that chamber of commerce meeting. You don't know. You go and you hope that you connect with somebody that can actually benefit you professionally. But with this approach, you can be laser targeted. And for you, Stuart, I know that one of your you know goals with this is you want to get better at marketing. You want to learn from other marketers. And so your goal is to interview a bunch of marketers that you look up to and, and respect and admire. And by doing that and having conversations with them, you're getting better. You're becoming a better marketer. That's your goal. My goal is biz dev. And so we, we want to build relationships with people that could potentially buy from us. Does that mean that everyone buys from us? Of course not. Are we twisting people's arms if they are in market to buy a podcast? No, but I'm now friends with them. <laughs> I'm, I, and, and some of my best friends now are, have become that way because I first had them on our show and they don't live in Orlando where I'm based. They live all over the country. And it's just a really, it's a really fun way to do business when you have the ability to reverse engineer genuine relationships at a moment's notice by simply asking someone to collaborate on a piece of content with you. There's a few things you said in there that I think are really important. One is traditional networking or however it's been up to this point of just meeting someone at an event and starting a conversation, which is hard to do for some people to begin with. Right. Like the, the whole the whole situation can be awkward. Yeah. And then you spend a couple of minutes trying to align, making sure that you are even interested in in speaking to this person because you probably came to that event with an idea of who you wanted to, to leave with. But if you instead go the opposite direction and start on LinkedIn and start by looking at marketers and go down the list, then you can start reaching out to each one of them and then see if they align yep. with how you if, the, if that's the person you want to be even talking to. Yep. Yep. You're exactly right. One, it's really flattering to be asked to, to collaborate on something. It doesn't have to be a podcast. We are obviously a podcast company, so we do it with our podcast, but you can do it with, you know, with LinkedIn lives. My, my friend Sangram, who's a customer of ours, he's the co-founder of Terminus, an ABM platform, and he's become a friend. We had him on the show years ago. They've, they're a great customer of ours and he's been doing this. He just interviewed Jay Abraham, like the legendary marketing consultant on his LinkedIn live series. Mm -hmm. Did the same thing with uh, Patrick Lencioni a few weeks ago. He's crushing it by creating content with these people that he deeply admires and wants to learn from. Why would Jay Abrams, why would he go on a, a LinkedIn live show? Like what is the, the value he sees there? Yeah. So I think that that's a great question, right? Because you have to be adding legitimate value to the person that you're, the, the, the person that you're wanting to collaborate with. And in Sangram's case, because he has built a company that I think is valued at, I, th I think their last valuation was over a hundred million dollars. So he's, he's legitimately, you know, had a, you know, he's built a successful tech company and through that, because he's documented the journey really well, and he's been a loud voice on LinkedIn, Sangram has built a following himself. I think he's got over 20,000 followers on LinkedIn and he gets, I want to say like 4,000 plus people tuning into his LinkedIn lives. So for Jay, it's a great play for Jay to get in front of an audience that otherwise might not know who he is. I can't tell you the last time I heard <laughs> Jay Abraham's name just because he's kind of one of those OGs that you don't hear often, but maybe Jay's about to write a book. Maybe he's working on a TV special with Amazon prime. I don't know what Jay's mm -hmm, doing, mm -hmm. but by him talking to Sangram, Jay is now on my radar 
and I'm one of 4,000 people that are thinking and talking about Jay Abraham today that otherwise wouldn't have been. And so the value is exposure to an audience that they would have never otherwise been exposed to. The other thing, and what, what I like to say with new podcast hosts or people that have created some sort of content channel that maybe don't have an audience yet, that it doesn't really matter if you don't have an audience. It's actually shocking how how many people will ask you what your audience size is because it's so flattering just to be asked at all that most people don't ask. But the people that really get it, they don't care how big your audience is because they it's PR for their existing audience. So for me to share this interview that I'm doing with you, sir, I, I don't care how many listeners you have because it's it's a third party, someone outside of our business, interviewing me about something I care a lot about and know a lot about. And so it's external validation of my expertise because you've clearly asked me to be a guest on your show. So when I bust this video up into lots of microbe content or I email our list and say, hey, I got interviewed on you know, Stuart Hillhouse's podcast, it makes me look good to my existing audience. So even, even if I'm not tapping into new audience, your audience, I'm still able to use the content as a validation that, that my expertise is, is real and other people are picking my brain on this stuff to my existing audience. So either way you look at it, just you being an external validation of someone's expertise is inherently valuable. Mm -hmm. And I've said this before and I'll, I'll continue to say it. If, if, you're really deterred by audience numbers and, and seeing metrics. Podcasting is probably one of the best routes to go because there are no, there are no outward facing metrics. You're right. Only you as the host know how many plays or views or anything you have. And that's yep. why I, I love podcasting because there, there is no, in your browsing, you're just flipping through and you're like, oh, wow, James gets 10,000 downloads per episode. You don't see that the same you way you see it. on YouTube and that completely influences what you click on next. But with podcasts, exactly right. it's an even playing field at all. It's, it's all about content. You're exactly right. And, and so the, the few things that you can focus on there to give that perception to your guests that you're asking to be a guest, if, if they do care about that stuff, they go to look at your podcast on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. You're right. They're not going to see subscriber numbers, but here's what they do see. They see how good your podcast logo is. And I can tell you for after seeing a lot of podcast logos that your podcast artwork, Stuart, is incredible. It's got that vibrant yellow, your face is in it. It's very modern looking. I look at that and I go, this is a legit show. Now, you may be getting six downloads an episode. I don't know. But I see visually that your podcast artwork looks like somebody that knows design did that logo, which means you're, if you're investing that much in your logo you're probably investing in the quality of the show. So I'm going to want to subscribe. The other thing that I'm paying attention to is how many reviews does the show have? And this is something I see so many companies miss whenever they start their own podcast is they don't, you know, we're working with a lot of companies that have a hundred plus employees. Well, you should at least have oh, as many ratings for your show as you have employees in your yeah. business. I mean, that's like a no brainer. It takes two seconds to pull the show up, hit, tap subscribe and go and hit a review. And if your show has 50 to a hundred reviews in Apple podcasts, it is going to stand out way, you know, it's going to stand out from the crowd. And and so the reason I say that reviews, uh, ratings matter, reviews don't even really matter that much because the way Apple Podcast has 
displays reviews. You could have two reviews and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't show the number of reviews. It only shows the number of ratings. And so we try to optimize and really help our customers think about how can you get as many ratings as possible, internal employees, customers, friends, family, like anybody you can get to leave a rating, the better because it shows it, it it positions your show to look credible whenever you go to ask that ideal client or that incredible strategic partner that you want to build a relationship with when you go to ask them to be a guest on your show they're probably going to want to say yes if they see that this thing's got 150 200 reviews on it yeah that's a really good point those of you who are listening james just told you he said please go add a rating to Stuart's Stuart's podcast yes. on apple <laughs> Yes. If you're, if you're listening to this, go and do it. It helps Stuart out a ton and it costs you a whopping six seconds of your time. If you, if you give me a rating, take a screenshot of it and tweet at me, Stu underscore Hillhouse, tweet at me and I'll reach out to you and we'll figure out some, something cool to do together. Yes. We're, we've been doing it where I'm giving away copies of my book. So we put an ad spot at the end of B2B growth and it's like, Hey, we know it's super annoying when podcasts ask you to leave, you know, leave a rating all the time, but it really does help. And we're trying to, you know, we're trying to get VPs of marketing at companies that have legitimate budgets to spend to be on our show. And so it, it really matters to us and it helps us a ton having that kind of validation. And so we put something at the end that says, Hey, if you leave a rating when, and we don't tell people leave a five-star rating, like, obviously, like I don't, 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 I think that's implied, but like, I don't explicitly say, <laughs> leave, leave, go leave a five-star rating, but leave a rating and take a screenshot, email it to me and I'll send you a signed copy of my book. And I've seen other people do that. I think Noah Kagan has done that with, with some things like that, where he's just sent swag to people in exchange for like doing something that really isn't that tough, but like people need motivation him yeah. to do stuff. And, no and so I think you could probably figure something out. Like, I don't know, could you make a t-shirt with your podcast logo on it or something and send those t-shirts to anybody that leaves a rating, you know, because you having a hundred ratings actually, I, I think will make a pretty substantial difference in, in the type of people that will want to come on your show. Speaking of motivation, starting a podcast or starting any type of content driven like persona online, it, it's nerve wracking and it requires effort yep. for the first bit. And I can tell you that straight up as me who's starting, uh, there, there are days where I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm about to post this. And there are days where I just don't have ideas, right? So th there, it's an upward battle. But what are some mistakes you see people making in early days of content-based networking as yeah. they get started? So the biggest mistake, I've been talking about this a lot, is that people brand their show around themselves or their company or their expertise instead of branding it around their ideal customer or the ideal person that they're trying to connect with. And the, the, the problem there, and people think like, oh, well, I'm an expert in web design. So I, my podcast should be about web design so that I can project to the world that I know what I'm talking about as it relates to web design. But what it does is it alienates you from actually being able to interview the people that can pay you to do web design for them because they don't know anything about web design. If a web designer were to reach out to me and say, hey, I want to have you on the web design podcast, I'd have to say, hey, man, I don't know the first thing about web design. I probably can't help you. The content's not going to be good and I don't want to look like an idiot. So I would have to pass on that interview, even though I might be an ideal client for that web designer, 
I have to say no because I don't have their expertise. And they've branded the show around their expertise, which alienates them from being able to interview their ideal customers. But instead, if that same web designer did a show called the Entrepreneurship Podcast, because that web designer loves building websites for entrepreneurs or for early stage companies, or you know they've realized that they work really well with manufacturing companies. If instead they started the manufacturing podcast or the entrepreneurship podcast, they could then position the show to go in and interview their clients or the potential clients, as opposed to just talking about themselves all the time. And it will get them, it will yield them a lot more results. So that's the, that's the biggest mistake that I see people making is they want to brand their show around their expertise as opposed to around the persona of the relationships that they're trying to build through the show. So you built Sweetfish Media up around the concept of using podcasting as a B2B tool to one, bring on your ideal prospects, interview them in a non-salesy way because you're literally just understanding them. You've themed the podcast to be like a level above their specific niche so that they feel comfortable talking just openly about the industry or whatever the topic is. But it also has a back-end use, which is that content engine. So this conversation is, is going to be immensely valuable to both of us because we can transcribe this and turn it into audio, video, text-based content. Everyone, everyone's kind of catching up on this idea of, of having content engines being this. like yeah. It's a one-on-one conversation, but there's going to be an hour's worth of content that turns into a bunch of stuff. Yep. Usually, there's going to need to be a host of this show. How should a B2B company, if they were looking to get a podcast started, select who that host should be? And if it's not the founder of the company, how do they position it from the beginning to allow the transition of that employee if they were to go or change positions or do something so that it's not just like all of a sudden the, the podcast evaporates and there's no, yeah. there's no way of salvaging it? This is a fantastic question. And it's it's something I've started to talk a little bit more about. I think B2B companies need to have multiple hosts for their show. And I don't see anybody else saying this, but we have we probably have 12 to 15 co-hosts of B2B growth. Some of them are internal people. So our director of audience growth is a co-host. Our director of partnerships is a co-host. Uh, we've got a couple producers on our team that have started co-hosts episodes. But then we also have people outside our company. So we've got some customers that are co-hosts. We've got a, you know, one of, one of our vendors is a co-host. And by doing that, what you're allowing yourself to do, you own the content. It's very strategic for other people to want to host your show because you're doing all the work and giving them content that they can use to promote themselves. But we, co- we started calling it collective thought leadership this idea of like, you can go a whole lot further, a whole lot faster if you go together. And so for B2B companies thinking about getting into a podcast, if you have multiple co-hosts, that's more content coming through your content engine that then can get distributed through lots of different channels. And if you have a co-host that's outside of your company posting your show to their network, that's only helping you out. That's additional distribution channels for the relatively low cost of you know the additional production cost of their episode, but it's creating a, a huge advocate for your media property because that wh- who more than that host 
is going to want to share it and want to get exposure for it because it's them hosting the interview. And so, mm-hmm. so I, I think that's how you do it. I think you have multiple co-hosts for your show. And then when, when somebody leaves your organization, inevitably that happens everywhere, then you just bring somebody on to, to replace them. And maybe it's a different series. Maybe you had somebody hosting a particular series on your show that was related to their expertise and maybe the person that you replace them with doesn't have that expertise, but you start a new series for that for that next person that you slot in. We're we're actually building an evangelist program at Sweetfish, so we've selected five people within our company to be Sweetfish evangelists, and we are going to be pouring a lot of resources from our creative team into actually creating content for these five for these five evangelists in Sweetfish and. I'm really excited about it because it's it's you're using the the personal profiles on LinkedIn of your evangelist as distribution channels for our content. So now instead of just B2B growth content coming from my profile, it's we're actually putting dollars and resources from the company behind for other people in the business now and pushing that content out through their personal profiles, which gets way more reach than company pages. And I'm sure like you, you know that I think anybody uh, that's on LinkedIn, any amount of time, you know that you see content from personal profiles way more than you see it from company pages. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really excited to, to see, to start seeing results from that. But I think you're going to see, start seeing more companies get onto this train of, of evangelizing people within their company and resourcing them with great content that is going to engage their audience. That's a big mindset shift for a company to to want their employees to have a voice that isn't necessarily a promotional voice. It's actually yes. a value-driven voice, which is yes. where the networking side of it comes in. It's like yep. no one wants to be sold to, whether it's in a conversation or whether it's scrolling through a, a LinkedIn feed. Yep, And that's why pure promotional posts never do well and no one's going to engage with it. Whereas if you reframe it a little bit and have an individual saying, oh, we're going to be, oh, this topic is really tricky. There's a lot of like nuances to it. I'm going to be going over it live in, uh, in about three hours for this webinar. Sign up below. Versus a company just writing topic, this, sign up here, three hours, right? Yeah. It's the, but it's the same outcome is you get people to show up but now imagine you had three co-hosts and now all of a sudden you've got three people organically networking, bringing yep. people onto that, that pod, the, the webinar and they're, they're happy to be there because they're like, oh, that's exactly for me. Yeah. The, the other thing that I've noticed is when you invite co-hosts from inside and outside your company, but particularly when you invite co-hosts from outside your company, that's the one that really trips people up. People are like, wait a minute, you want people outside of my company to co-host our podcast? Yes, I do. Mm. I'm not asking you to go ask idiots to be a co-host of your podcast. You Obviously, them. you want yeah. to vet them. You want to you want to know that like they're going to be talking to interesting people or that that you value their insights and their expertise, but they open your show up to an entirely new audience that you otherwise would not have been able to get into. And they have an expertise that you might not have internally. So John Ruji, who's the VP of marketing strategy at a company called BombBomb, uh, he hosts the category creation series of B2B growth. Well, we don't have an internal expert on category creation on our team. So that's content that we just would not have created 
if it weren't for John. Right. And John's super sharp. He's he's having conversations with CMOs that we would love to end up doing business with one day, but we're not gonna we're not gonna pursue creating content around category creation because we don't know anything like we don't, we don't know anything about that ourselves right. aside so, from what we've learned through John. So it just it opens your show up to entirely new audiences and it allows you to build deeper, more strategic relationships with the co-hosts of your show. So if you have 20 co-hosts, you've now got reason to stay connected on an ongoing basis with these 20 very strategic people in your industry, whether that's like people that are offering other services than yours. So if, if we were to do, if we were to ask, you know, a vendor that does an ancillary service to ours, so say they do outbound prospecting, and we were to ask them to do a co to, to be a co-host of B2B growth, all of like, who do you think they're going to go to when their clients are being like, Oh man, I love what you're doing with the podcast. Who should, who should we be using for our podcast? Oh, well, you should use Sweetfish because the, the podcast is actually theirs and they, they do this for a ton of other companies. So just imagine They're sold like, before they even know what the product is. Exactly. Like when you think about like, what if, what if we made our, all of our referral partners co-hosts of our show? What if we made our SDRs co-hosts instead of SDRs? Like, I just think the way business is going to be done in the next few years is going to be centered around companies not thinking of themselves as companies that do whatever it is they do. They're going to be thinking of themselves as companies that are media properties. And that media property sits at the, at the middle of everything. Like we no longer have SDRs. We hire young journalists to go out and interview everybody they possibly can in the industry for our industry podcast or video series or whatever it is. And we're going to ask outside analysts and we're going to ask our strategic referral partners or people that could be referral partners to also host series. And the show is going to create so much freaking content that we're going we're gonna to flood the market with helpful resources that people actually want to consume as opposed to self-serving messages, begging people to come on their webinar where it's basically a glorified pitch for 45 minutes. Hmm. That's, that's going to be really cool to see that play out. I'm excited to see Sweetfish. Like you're already doing it, but to really put a, to put a system around it. I'm looking forward to watching that. Question for you about an individual. So we understand the benefit a business can have from it. We also understand that an individual is looking to continue to network. Uh, it's going to be tricky over the next year with social distancing and, and, and a lot of trade shows being shut down. From your perspective, say you, had, you lost every kind of follower you had, you had no more audience anymore, and you needed to start fresh and you were just a marketer. Mm. How do you position yourself and your show and the content you're creating so that future employers or future customers or anyone you kind of want to have in your sphere of influence, see it as a positive asset that you have your own voice rather than it being like you taking away from the company you're working for. Yeah. So I think the first thing that I would do is I would get real clear on my goal. And I spend a lot of time in the book on this because not enough people do this. They mm -hmm. haphazardly start creating content for, for their personal brand before really understanding what it is that they want and what they're trying, where they're trying to go. And so I would figure out like, okay, I, I took a hack at starting a media company. And for whatever reason, in, in the scenario we're talking about, for whatever reason that blew up and, and it didn't work. <laughs> and so I'm trying to figure out something else. I also love sports. 
So maybe I want to start a sports agency, similar to what you know you see Gary Vee doing. And so if I wanted to start a sports agency, I would first have to be real clear that that was my goal. Okay, I want to get into the sports industry. Then I would start to say, okay, I got to build an audience from scratch. I lost everything I had from Sweetfish. I'm going to start some sort of pillar content. It would probably look like a podcast, but it could be a video series too. It could be a series of tweets that I do every you know three days a week or whatever, but it would be centered around the business of sports because I know that I want to be in that industry and I need to start creating content with people that know a lot more about it than I do. So I would start trying to interview every agent I could, every assistant coach that will talk to me. I would, I would try to do, I would try to do all of it and establish my authority in the biz, in, in, in the sports industry by starting something like the business of sports. Uh, I'm just I'm gonna, actually can I just to, pause you yeah. there for one sec? So, yeah. so in this case, your goal is I want to, I want a foot in the door. Yes. You don't need to have a specific, like, that's what I want to kind of understand is can your goal evolve over time or should it be North star, like so defined that, you know, exactly where you're going and keep going for it. That would be awesome. If it was like, I just don't think it's very realistic. Okay. When we first started B2B growth, I thought our ideal buyer was a VP of sales. I just thought, man, what VP of sales is not going to want to have a podcast so that they can it, it so that their SDR team can interview whoever it is they're trying to do business with and and have this really non-salesy first touch interaction and i found out that vps of sales have budget for headcount and they have budget for technology they don't have budget for podcasting that's a marketing thing so so when i first set out with b2b growth i i was thinking i was going to go a completely different direction it just happened that we'd named the show in such a way where it worked for us to pivot the focus for us to start talking to b2b marketers and it, and it worked out that way so i, I don't think it it's through the podcast yeah and we learned it through the podcast by having these conversations with 150 vps of sales figured out hey this isn't <laughs> this isn't working yeah, so if you can't convert 150 people you just had an hour long conversation with yeah. you're probably selling something that's not for them yeah exactly and, and so for me, like early stage entrepreneurs, I love this strategy because it's how we validated. It's how we've done product validation. We've talked to, we've, we talked to the people that we thought it was going to be a fit for. We also did a, I did a, I used to write for the Huffington Post on a regular basis. And I started doing this series with CMOs. And I realized that anytime I talked to a CMO, they had little to no care about what we did as a business. They were way too in the clouds. Like they're thinking about the brand story and, and all this stuff. And they couldn't give two craps about what, we, what we're doing with podcasting. They, just, it, they were completely disconnected from it. And so we realized, okay, it's not the CMO. It's not the VP of sales. It's the VP of marketing. The person that's like actually in the weeds in charge of like executing these campaigns that map to the CMO and the CEO's ultimate vision of where the company's going, the story they're telling, all that stuff. So it that happened that happened over a long period of time. So for me to expect to know that coming out of the gate, I, I would never expect somebody else to know that. But my friend Dylan, hey, who just started a podcast for, for SaaS marketers, he had a very clear view of his ICP because he's had an agency for a couple of years and he knows that he does PPC for SaaS companies and he works really well with early stage SaaS companies. And so he knew when he started his podcast, cause he had the benefit of knowing, doing all the validation work of who his ideal buyer was. He came out of the gate 
knowing like I need to brand my show around this persona because I already know they want what I can help them with. And he just messaged me the other day and he was like, Oh man, James, we just closed our first deal with a uh, podcast guest. I was like, Oh my gosh, that's awesome. And I think he's got like a contract out pending for another one. It's working very quickly for him because he did that work prior to it. So you can use the podcast or the media entity to help get you there and figure out product validation, or you can figure it out before. But he told me, he was like, James, I'm like putting my head through a wall, wishing that I would have been doing this two years ago when you started telling me about it. Like it's, it's just having these kind of conversations with people is way too smart and way too strategic. Why isn't everybody (laughs) trying to do this? And we'll see, you know, uh, we'll see how it shakes out. I think you're going to see a lot more people doing it, but using content collaboration as a mechanism for building relationships maps to so many things. Like I love your, your goal is not biz dev with this show, Stuart. And I love that. Like it doesn't, it doesn't have to be, it is for me and it is for Dylan, but it doesn't have to be for you, for you. It's learning. And it's going to, I can almost guarantee you it's going to achieve that goal because how, how could it not? You're talking to really smart marketers with the exception of me every, <laughs> you know, every day on this show. And you're going to, you're going to get better as a result and your company is going to benefit because of that. That's really, that's, that's good to hear that the goal can evolve as well because yeah. it, careers change, like stuff moves on. So you have to kind of, I think that's the beauty of media is that it, if you do it, if you position it in such a way that it's your name, like you still need to take ownership of your name. If you just go straight up like a a catchphrase or something, it, it doesn't have necessarily the same attachment to you. So that was kind of a tip that someone told me early when I was starting was because mine is personal development to co-brand it with my name, just made it easy so that I can can evolve over time. Yep. We're going to wrap up here pretty soon, James, but I got a couple questions just because you've been in the, the podcasting world for much longer than I have, and you've seen it evolve. And, and this week, there was some just crazy news about Joe Rogan getting a huge deal with, yeah. with Spotify. And it seems like in the last eight months or something, there's just like all of a sudden, people are talking about podcasts and, yeah. and taking it seriously. And there's actual number values associated with it. Mm-hmm. What are you excited about when it comes to the medium? Like you're doing some really cool stuff. You talked about it earlier about Swedish uh, putting all those evangelists out. I think that's really unique and, and something new that I haven't seen. Is there anything else that you're particularly paying attention to just like from the technology or from the platform side of things? I don't know that I'm necessarily super excited about the technology of the platforms. It'll be interesting to see if Spotify ends up dethroning Apple. I think they've got a good shot at it. I think Apple is just honestly not done a great job stewarding the platform. I think it's uh, there's it's to me baffling that you can't engage with the podcasts that you listen to. Why I can't comment on an episode of top of mind is beyond me. Like it should, you should be able to do that and have collaborative conversations with other people listening to that content. And I think it's just, you know, I, and I'm not a techie, right? Like somebody at Apple could be listening to this and go, well, this, this guy's an idiot because he doesn't know all the technical infrastructure that has to happen for that to happen. But I, I think that Apple has kind of squandered a lot of opportunity with what they could do with podcasting. And it seems like Spotify by doing these acquisitions, acquiring Gimlet Media, acquiring the library of Joe Rogan's content, I, I think they're going in the right direction. And I think, I think they have a shot at, at, over, uh, at overthrowing it. The, the thing that we're building, I mean, the vision for Sweetfish is, you know, we're, we're producing a lot of podcasts for different companies right now. 
But what we're doing with B2B growth, I want to replicate in a thousand different industries. Mm -hmm. So I want to have a show for B2B marketers, which is what we're doing with B2B growth right now. But we've also got four other shows. We call them our collective shows. They're shows that Sweetfish owns that other people pay to be co-hosts on. And we've realized that we've got to slow down on those other four shows right now. We've got the B2B sales show. We've got the manufacturing show. We've got crafting culture for HR. We had to slow down on those other four to really figure out audience growth on B2B growth first. But once we feel like we've got, and I think this evangelist program is going to be a big part of it, but once we've figured out and really cracked the code on how do we grow an audience for a media property, we're going to start translating that into a bunch of different shows in as many industries as possible. So you're going to see us starting shows for people in maritime logistics, people that own funeral homes. Like I want to go super niche. Because ultimately what I think, I think a company like a Spotify, maybe it's Apple if they pull their head out, but it seems like Spotify is doing so many strategic acquisitions right now that if in five to 10 years, I've built up a catalog of 100, 200 industry-specific shows that have legitimate audiences, that's going to be a very valuable asset for Spotify to want to purchase. So that's our strategic direction as a business. And that's what I'm excited about is building a conglomerate of media properties that are focused on specific industries. And, and we're doing a lot of things to support that. We're going to start doing a lot of funny video content in, in niches. So like we're working on a video right now that's if a B2B marketer planned a gender reveal. Um, <laughs> but like, uh, you know, that that's going to be awesome for B2B marketers. Well, B2B marketer is not going to laugh at a right. video about a B2B marketer planning a gender reveal. Well, that translates to every industry. <laughs> you know, we can, in yep. three years from now, when we have the funeral director podcast, if a funeral director planned a gender reveal, it still works and it's right, still engaging right. and it still makes people want to go, Oh, who is, what is this media property? The funeral director show? Like, oh, I should subscribe to their podcast or get on their email list or what, like whatever the case may be, get on their text message. Like, and so I, that's what I'm most excited about is really building out uh, and executing on what I think the vision of the company or where we're going as a company. Yeah. I've, I've been really into that idea as well of kind of looking to other industries that use media as their as their revenue generating product and just understand how they package it, how they refurbish it, how they remix it, the, the, the overlapping spheres, like how they publish it. The whole, mm-hmm. the whole thing is just so interesting. And one of the ones I recently had was, was looking learning about the music industry. And I would say that they're probably the ultimate example of content uh, reuse. So when a song comes out, they will put out the lyric video first then they'll put out like the alternative music video then they'll release the real music video and then there'll be the learn to dance music video so they've just released four videos of the exact same song then they'll release the acoustic version then they'll release the live one then 10 years later they'll do the 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 refurbished one and so and that's just on one platform that's just on youtube then they do the exact same thing over on boom 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 and so it's just cool looking to them, even though they, they seem old school and like so out of reach. As individuals, we can kind of like piece piece apart the small bits of it that we can try and replicate in our own work. And yeah. it, right now, it might mean I'm manually texting you before this episode saying, looking forward to having you on. Yeah. But what brand now isn't hoping that they can have text messaging as part of their marketing mix? So yeah. it's, uh, it's kind of a full circle here. 
Yeah. I, I think, I think you're going to see more and more brands realize that they need to become media companies. And the way I'm thinking about it is to say like, if we can figure this out and we can, we can crack the code on how to build a massive audience of B2B marketers in the same way that sales hacker has done that with, with B2B sales, if we can do that for marketers, then I think we can do it for funeral directors. We can do <laughs> yeah. it for maritime logistics. And, and when you look at all these industries that you think of as dated, their, their go-to media is an annual conference and maybe a magazine. <laughs> if you can, if you can think about like, man, if me as a company that serves that space, if I can become the media property that everyone in this space looks to, then that means I'm going to have a lot of attention and there's a lot of opportunity there for brands to do that. So I think Sweetfish going in and starting the funeral director podcast, I don't think that means that nobody else can do it. Hmm. What I love so much about it is we can go in and start the funeral director podcast and then work with 10 companies that are a part of our show. And a year later, they go and launch their own media properties hmm. and, and maybe they're focusing on different things in the industry, but I think we can do it collaboratively. I don't think it needs to be this competitive thing. There are lots of marketing B2B marketing podcasts on the internet. I don't need to compete with you, Stuart. We're in this together. Like yeah. I want to point B2B growth listeners to top of mind. You can point top of mind listeners to me. Like people consume ABC and CBS and right. Netflix. Like you, you, media properties don't like it's, it, we can all win. And, and that's what, that's what I'm so excited about is, is really figuring out business models that allow us to go further, faster together. Couldn't have said it better. B2B growth podcast is the place to hear James and apparently 10 other hosts. <laughs> Just so much good content there. I've listened to a bunch of episodes and I love it. Definitely check it out. James, thank you so much. Thanks Stuart. I really appreciate it, man. This has been fun. If you enjoyed anything that you just heard, then you're going to absolutely love what I'm about to tell you. If you go online to topofmind.substack.com and put in your email, you can get access to exclusive behind-the-scenes content inspired by this show. So there's going to be candid audio recordings that aren't going to be available anywhere else, not on Spotify, not on Apple, nowhere else except on topofmind.substack.com. But that's not it. It's also a platform where I can share written content, videos, links, and anything else that I come across directly with you. You're going to get access to it right away. You're going to get access to the whole library of archived posts. And you're also going to be the first to be notified when a new episode of Top of Mind comes out. So head on over to topofmind.substack.com. See you there. If you enjoyed anything that you just heard, you're going to absolutely love what I'm about to tell you. If you go online to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button, you'll be added to an email list where I share exclusive content related to this show. This is where I'm going to share my key takeaways from each episode, including my highlights, top of mind takeaways, and next steps that you can do to put this advice to action. I also share some real life breakdowns of marketing campaigns that I'm seeing around and how I'm using it in my work. So head on over to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button to get your first email. Looking forward to seeing you there.